Welcome to Tipping Points, the podcast that reveals moments in people's lives that change everything. My name is Luke Edelston, and each week I interview fascinating people with extraordinary stories to find their tipping points. Since transforming her own setbacks, such as a paralyzing illness where she lost the use of her legs, to gunpoint kidnappings from tsunami terror, and narrowly escaping being burnt alive when petrol bombs were thrown at her room. She now empowers organizations and their people to find the courage to keep moving forward during tough times. We've got loads to talk about, Heidi. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Luke. It's a really on- a real honor to be here. Cheers. Um, and so I, th- I thought I'd start with uh, some of these adversities. Uh, there's lots of things in the bio there that are very interesting and probably want to go into quite a few of them. Um, so from those, you, you've you've risen above many of the adversities, and which one would you sh- say is like, shaped to you the most, and why? Oh, look, I think um, definitely the um, waking up in a a burning building as because petrol bombs had been thrown with the intention to to burn myself and the team that I was leading alive. We were on a volunteer mission overseas. As yeah, that. That one has definitely uh, shaped me the most and probably uh, led me to where, where I am today doing the kind of work that I'm doing. So that it, there's been many tough things that have came out of that. Um, but as we all know, out of tough times and out of adversities, uh, good things can happen and it has led, to, led me to be doing the kind of work that I do today. So in, in one sense, I'm quite pleased with that sort of mm. kind of what she says <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah at the time you you I imagine very scared and everything so what yeah. was the situation around that so you were volunteering what what kind of volunteering were you doing and how did the situation come about I um I had a not-for-profit uh overseas in the Pacific Islands it's a, a series of islands called Vanuatu which is on the east coast of Australia and I'd been there as a 20-year-old, as a teacher, actually. Uh, my, first, my first career was as a secondary school teacher and I'd gone to Vanuatu to teach in one of the local high schools and I just truly fell in love with the country and the people and their community values and their family values and uh, always knew that somehow, some way, I would come back and be involved some way in education because that is such a part of my life and a number of years later I think about 12 years later I I got the opportunity to go back and set up a not-for-profit working with local communities uh, in Vanuatu to uh, provide literacy programs and also girls empowerment programs and we've done that for uh, 13 years actually we had volunteers across three different countries and we were, we were what I call a true not-for-profit. Every single dollar that we received uh, went to our projects on the ground. None of us as workers took any money um, at all. It was, it was our passion project. It was something that we all wanted to do. We were complete volunteers. So um, we relied on people to volunteer their time, their resources and gift us um, with dollars so we could roll out the projects. And um, we, our final big project um, prior to this uh, adversity occurring was that we built a community library on one of the remote islands. And, um, you know, it, it provided, you know, we, we, we had adults 
all helping, or children all helping with the build. Everybody played a part from the year four kids who dug the very first hole to an 80-year-old elder who handmade 3,000 of the bricks for the walls. Um, Mamas shoveled the coral from the beach for the concrete slab. We had uh, we had the local boys who were doing their carpentry qualification come and do their practical component on our build. And on one very stinking hot day uh, when we were pouring the concrete, I realised that stupid me didn't realise that when I was ordering all the materials that, um, I don't know if you know this, Luke, but you actually need water to make concrete. This was a new learning for me because uh, I, you know, normally I don't have anything to do with building. And uh, the only tap in the, in the school was where we were building was nowhere near where we were building this library. So um, I should have ordered a hose, but I hadn't thought about that. So we had about 50 giggling children all standing in a row with one bucket going from the, <laughs> the one tap, you know, all the way down. And they giggled and danced and splashed themselves. So we'd start with a full bucket and then we'd end up with about two centimetres by the time I got to the mixer. And it took us all day, but we had a lot of fun. Um, and unfortunately, though, after we had the grand opening and everything was very, it was so wonderful. We had a tra we were training a local lady to be the librarian and we had all brand new culturally appropriate books. But about eight months later, uh, Cyclone Pam um, hit Vanuatu, which was the greatest natural disaster that uh, Vanuatu had ever experienced. And apart from, you know, devastating throughout the whole country, you know, a third of the population were homeless. Um, so much devastation, of course, it ruined our, our, our project and our library. And so about uh, six months after that, we, after we've been raising money again to rebuild and restart, order more books, do the new build, um, I took the first volunteer group over to help um, start that up. And There'd been some cultural conflict going on, uh, but we had been advised that we would be completely fine. It had nothing to do with us. So there was we were at no risk. Um, it was to do with other people that had nothing to do with our projects or anything like that. But unfortunately, on our second night um, on that volunteer mission, these people who uh, were in conflict uh, decided that by sending a message to the place where we were staying, which who were linked to this conflict, um, that by, by sending in petrol bombs to burn us while we slept uh, would get their message heard. Um, so I woke up to a noise what we believe is about was about midnight and you know when you're just kind of coming out of your sleep and it's you're you're not sure if you're in a dream or what's really true and I could smell the smoke and as I opened my eyes uh, I had a big window that I was kind of looking at and all I could see was just ferocious flames um of course jumping up um just petrified I mean what and what you know in that in that kind of days but then really quickly coming out of that sleepy days and I was kind of up on a mezzanine level and rain down the stairs and out and um 
you know, saw about six or seven men running away from my room and they had these big sticks of fire. And what I learned later is that they'd thrown the first petrol bomb at my room. So I ran around to get everybody out. Um, you know, everything was on fire all over the place. Um, we were all in separate bungalows. Um, and, you know, there was just these sh sh big balls of fire being shot from the burning roofs that were all trying to dodge. People were screaming and these this group who were out to get us were throwing rocks at us. Oh, well, this is all happening. And, yeah, well, look, it was a terrible night. Um, we spent the night in fear of our lives. We kind of evacuated everybody down to the beach and then across this kind of hill up on a, on, on a hill to get right away from the fire. Um, unfortunately, the group came again to try to attack us. Um, and, yeah, we spent the entire night just in absolute terror, uh, confused, unsure of what the hell this is, why, why are we involved with this and how... You know, when you're on a remote island in the Pacific, you, you know, we, we have triple zero, we call here for emergency services. I, um, you don't have that in remote countries, you know. So uh, there was no one to call um, to help us. Uh, I finally was able to get in touch with a friend um, who lived in Vila, the, the, the capital, which is on the main island, who got in touch with the Australian embassy and they were kind of just talking us through the night to protect us. They sent the local police. We then later found out that the local police had incited this group to do what they did. So there was just all these kind of um, betrayals that went on. Um, our Australian Commission, after the event, uh, wouldn't provide us with any support to get justice, and it was just this kind of something you would watch in a movie playing out in front of us. Um, but, you know, Luke, the thing, the things that I learned and I suppose that have shaped me from that particular night was, so I broke a bone in my foot um, when I was running around to get people out. I didn't know it at the time, you know, adrenaline's going through and, you know, yeah, my foot hurt a little bit, but that was nothing compared to what I was trying to do. Um, I also had a bit of lung damage, well, quite a bit because I, I wasn't sure how long I'd actually been uh, breathing in all the smoke. So when I came back to Australia, I had, you know, a couple of these, I had some noticeable physical injuries that people would ask me about. But the physical injuries were nothing compared to the mental injuries, you know, that I had from that night. I mean, I suffered terribly with PTSD for about a year. Uh, I had crippling insomnia because what I learnt um, is that when you are woken from a deep sleep uh, for in, and you're in a, um, a situation where your life could be taken, subconsciously then your body uh, links sleep with danger. So when I came back, I'd try to be going to sleep, but because I was the first one to hear the noise, I just, you're just hypervigilant, right? You're just always listening for noise because a leaf would drop and I would be like, what's going on, you know? And so the insomnia was just unbearable. Um, yeah, so that was a really interesting thing that people people don't like to ask you about mental ill health. 
at all. They ask you because they can see me on crutches with a broken foot and that's a far easier conversation, but we're all still so scared to because of the stigma around mental ill health. Um, and it's taken me a long time to even understand that, yeah, like even with all the COVID that's been going on, all the mental ill health that people have suffered, there's, and, and, and we keep promising in our workplaces that we're going to support each other so much more, but there's still so much stigma around it and people are scared to talk about it. And so it's been part of what I do now is, to say, you know, when I'm not okay, I'm going to say it out loud. And it doesn't make me a worse human. It doesn't make me less of a leader. It doesn't make me a problematic business owner or, you know, none of that. It just means that I'm human and I've got the courage to say, I, I, I'm not doing so well right now but I, and I refuse to stay where I'm at. I'm going to ask for help and get some help so I can move forward. And I think all of us, it takes courage to ask for help when we're not doing okay. It really does. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'd love to hear what's going on with UK in regards to the mental ill health issues that have come post-pandemic. You know, is that is it being talked about more? Uh, I think it is, yeah. It, it's kind of hard to tell if there's a significant change from before to after. I think I'm quite lucky actually because I've got I work with a couple of different managers and like different projects and things and they're both fairly open and receptive to it. I'm not sure how they deal with it if I said outright like oh you know I've got anxiety today or whatever. Um but I have felt comfortable enough to say you know these meetings where we don't have videos on so we're talking over video now uh yeah. and zoom that really helps doesn't it because it's the sort of empathy and things you can see people and you know if they mm. look down or just not interested or whatever you can tell a bit but often yes. you know people have bad internets and stuff as potentially one excuse for why they don't put it yeah. on or they don't feel yeah. good or whatever it is right yeah uh, and so then you talk it to yourself you, you look at it at the screen and and like you say oh what about this and you just silence you're like oh god yeah like this is the weirdest thing or you're doing yeah. a presentation to no one and it's yeah. just it's so I've, i felt comfortable enough to say i i'm feeling quite quite anxious because i'm not getting any responses and it feels just really unnatural to me so if you could like respond or put your video on or something that'd be really nice um and i think as a leader as well it is part you know it's, it's our part, parts to actually do that and show that it's okay because i know yeah. i've talked to someone recently on a podcast where you know i know he didn't feel okay to be that vulnerable with the people around him and i said to him you know i think that's part of your role really you know if, yeah. if you're not okay that's okay like if, like you say that's part of being human it really is and that's the thing and you know from from that experience so i had to take time off um to to heal myself obviously and um what was really interesting from that time when I had to take time off is that uh, the, the backup plan that we kind of had for the foundation, we, ha we hadn't done it in a way that would allow for the person who is leading the foundation to take time off. And this is the thing, you know, I'd had, I had a, my, my day job business, I should, you know, this was my kind of side hustle as you'd call today, but my day job business, you know, I'd built from nothing and I'd, 
you know, I'd expanded, I got staff and we'd won awards and I was industry um, leader of our association and I sold it for the terms I wanted and the price I wanted because I put in all these policies that and procedures that would allow for that. But in this kind of side hustle, I hadn't done that. So when I had to take time off, the foundation actually folded because there wasn't that structure that allowed for it. And and now, now when I'm within organisation, you know, with business owners, I talk a lot about how you have to set up a business that allows for you, to, because there will be tough times that you you need to step away, and hopefully not because you've had petrol bombs, you know, thrown at you, but there will be times where you have to step away because you're unwell or you're looking after someone else. You've got to set things up that will allow for that, but we've also got to give our leaders a break. We've got to allow them to feel okay not to be okay they you know not to put them on these pedestals that make them feel like they've just got to be so stoic all the time um Mm. and i think that's been a great learning and something that i talk about a lot a lot now when i'm talking with organizations yeah this is a very famous book uh, rich dad poor dad which sort of talks about those Mm. areas and i suppose what you describing with the charity although people might not see it as a business you were sort of a business operator which means you were doing yes. everything you know you were pivotal yeah. to the whole success of the thing uh, yes. whereas with the uh the personal training business and everything that was you were the business owner so you could sort of delegate or i guess you had delegated certain parts to different people and mm. so when you were away it's like okay that person's doing that thing and it's all good yeah 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 and it's a mindset thing because I had like, you know, I was doing it in my proper business, but I wasn't doing it in this other one. And, you know, it, which is crazy because we had a big operation and, and you know, we and had a lot of people relying on us, in, or a lot of children. And so why, why hadn't I thought to put those same kind of policies and procedures in place on reflection? Of course, it's very easy to see that didn't go on. But at the time... Um, you know, it was just kind of this thing that we were scrambling and growing and doing just day by day. We're all volunteers. It, 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 but, of course, this is one of the learnings. Mm. You mentioned you had uh, PTSD as well. What was the process like for getting over that? And are you fully over that now? I don't think I no. I don't. I think it's fair to say that I still experience some adverse effects from it. I feel like... I have to put a lot in place in my day uh, to cope with stress. Mm. Whereas prior to that event, I feel like I could handle more stress without having to do, you know, my 10-point checklist every day, Um, more probably. Um, The the insomnia is a continual battle. I, I still continually battle with that. So sleep, falling asleep and staying asleep, I do many things in a day to make sure that I can do that. Um, so that that's never been quite the same, even though I do everything that everybody's heard of um, to help myself go to sleep and stay asleep. Um, but at the time, yeah, look, I, I had to, I had uh, a psychologist to help me through it. And that took me three different ones to find the right one. And, you know, and that's, also, what I say to people that if you if if you do need to find extra help, sometimes you're not going to get the right person straight away. And you know, we're all of us 
there's just a some people are right for some and they're not right for others and you've just got to persevere and it can be the most frustrating process when you are especially when you're desperate and I was getting really desperate my mental health was spiraling downwards very quickly and I needed help big time um but I persevered and I finally got a recommendation and this lady really really helped me she had she had worked with people who'd gone through violent crime which is what you know obviously that was so um yeah she was incredible mm. No, that's good to hear that you found someone. And yeah. I, I know what you mean. It, some, it, not everyone resonates with each other, even just like random people on the street. Like if you're just talking to people. Absolutely. You can find someone who you feel comfortable with, I guess. Yeah. And you mentioned having like a really big uh, checklist. I'm, I'm quite, kind of intrigued. And also I will put your brain, brains on the sleeping because I'm struggling with that at the moment. But oh, not yeah. for the same sort of reason as you, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter why <laughs> you can't sleep. It's just, it's torture, isn't it? <gasps> <laughs> yeah, it's not fantastic. So I'm intrigued in your, and I guess these are your sort of routines for, I'm guessing, morning and night. Would you yeah. be able to share any of that with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, my morning ritual is that um, I wake up, sit up, and I do 30 minutes of what most would consider meditation. I don't like to call it that way because I've always felt like I've struggled with meditation as a word um, because what's happened in the past is I've sat down many times over the years to be a meditator and my my brain goes oh fantastic now now that you're sitting there quietly let's go through those to-do lists that we need to do you know and then I start beating myself up because I'm doing to-do lists rather than meditating so I just say I'm just sitting here for 30 minutes in stillness without distraction and that's what I do. Um, first thing, I also, you know, I, um, you know, I chow and all that kind of thing. I, um, due to various injuries, I do a small yoga practice just to get the cricks out that have happened overnight. Mm -hmm. And I do some twenty minutes of business reading every morning. Um, and I like so. I've, yeah, when I talk about the yoga, like the 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 small yoga practice, I. I know that the best thing you can do in the morning as a ritual is to exercise. And I'm, I, I love to exercise. It's, I always do it every day, but I cannot do it in the morning. It's just goes against my rhythms completely, but I'll just do this kind of yoga practice to get the blood flowing. And I'll eat a healthy brekkie. You know, I, you know, I like good food that comes from nature, not out of a packet. So um, that's pretty much my morning routine before I'll get into uh, my day. And at my at night, um, yeah, I have a very strict sleep routine, end of day routine. So at 9 p.m. every night, uh, it, I have an alarm that goes off on my phone to say, turn off all devices, no, no excuses in capital letters to remind me every day that even if I've got a deadline tomorrow, I cannot continue to look at any kind of device from after 9 p.m. And I will read a book is my, my thing, my, you know, creating this buffer between my work day and my sleep time is I will read. I love to read um, fiction at night. And then at 5 to 10, I'll do another slow wind down little yoga stretch, go into bed. I've got these um, earplugs that are like the ones that you use if you're in if you're a swimmer in the pool, the ones, mm. not, not the foamy ones, the 
like Play-Doh-y ones because yeah. still if I hear things, I wake up because that's, that's still my problem. Some nice lavender hand cream that I waft under my nose and off I go to sleep. Yeah. And you find you fall asleep fairly quickly after all of that then? I can go to sleep easily now. Um, the problem is if I do wake, a lot of the time I still struggle if I've got a bit, you know, the monkey brain goes. Mm. Um, I still will struggle with that. But so I'll lay there and I'll try to talk myself back into going to sleep and that won't work. So sometimes I just get up and I'll just do that little yoga practice again and stare out the window for a while. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I just try to take the stress off and not lie there stressing is the big thing for me yeah yeah no it makes sense no, it sounds like a good routine and uh yeah the, the turning off the devices thing i i've had reminders on my phone for that kind of thing as well for, uh, at nine o'clock as well where it's just like turn it off and still yeah. not that great at it because for me i quite like learning and i also later in the day at the moment i like to rest my eyes um just because yeah. i look at screens quite a lot with work and things um so I'm there like listening to bits of podcasts, but the thing is with that, you can kind of get sooked in and your brain's still active and you're kind of like, oh, this is interesting. But with a book, it's sort of self-limiting. You can only, yeah. like your eyes start to get tired. You start to realize you're not concentrating and not taking it in. So you're like, okay, now I'm tired. Now it's time to sleep. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's like, I'm the same, Luke. I mean, I can't even read, I can't read biographies or autobiographies at night because I, I then get inspired by people and like, oh, I should be doing that with my life. And, you know, I go into this whole new plan. And that, so it's just got to be fiction. It's just a slight story. I've just got to, to switch that brain off. Otherwise, yeah, it's just, you know, wants to go again. Yeah, makes sense. Mm. So to shift gears slightly. Um, so early in your career, you were working in well, you did a degree, I think, in physical education and then yes. went into, uh, so mm -hmm. I guess, kind of like a teaching thing, wasn't it, really, yes. um, for, for, for quite a few years. And yeah. uh, and then you started your own business. And so uh, with the whole theme behind you, with the word courage as well, what we've been talking about, what gave mm -hmm. you the courage to start that and what was, the, what was your rationale for doing it, I guess? Yeah, well, I was, yeah, I was a secondary school teacher. I actually loved, I loved teaching. I mean, I, I don't believe I've ever stopped. I feel like I've got education in my DNA. You know, I've, I've taught hormonal cocktail teenage girls for many years. I've taught young children on Pacific Islands and I've taught adults to move more and eat better. And now I teach leaders and their teams to build their resilience. So Everything is based on education to me. I think education changes lives and um, that's what I love to do. But teaching um, here in Australia in a secondary school wasn't giving me the income that I needed to finance the lifestyle I wanted. So I thought I need to get a second job because I, I had no intention of leaving teaching. It hadn't occurred to me to start a business. I just needed a second job. So I went and did my personal training qualifications so that I could do a little bit on the side. So I started to do that um, before school, after school and on Saturdays. And I did it for two and a half years while I was teaching, but it just, it was before personal training was a thing. You know, there was mm -hmm. one other, there was a, one personal training studio when I started my business within a five kilometre radius of where I was. Um, 
so yeah, I started to get really busy and uh, just started not doing either job very well and had to make a decision about, all right, I need to give up one or the other. I can't do both. This is just too stressful. And my husband had been saying, look, you, you keep, people are just referring more people to you. Why don't you give this a go and um, just, just give it a go. And one day I was, I was driving across the Harbour Bridge, which I needed to do to go to my, the school I was teaching at. And I had one of those aha moments and I was just driving and just went, right, I'm going to resign today. I'm doing it today. So I pulled into the school, went straight into the principal's office and said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to resign. And we have this a wonderful thing here um, called you can, in, in education where you can take a year's leave without pay. So he, he talked to me to taking in a year's leave without pay in case it didn't work out. I'd still have my job. So I finished up the year and started full-time doing personal training. And within six weeks, I'd reached my 12-month financial goal and was able to replace my teaching income. So I just went in and resigned because I otherwise the, your role's kept open. It's not good for the kids or the school. And, yeah, very quickly... Um, that grew. I, you know, within a few months, I started to have staff come on. Uh, we, you know, I'd started it out of my stinky garage with two hundred dollars worth of secondhand equipment. Um, but we very soon moved to a, a proper location, and uh, I actually moved three times as we got bigger and bigger. We kept moving premises. I ended up having about fifteen trainers working for me um, with a team of support staff. Yeah, we had the highest staff retention in Australia and the highest customer retention in Australia um, for that type of business. And yes, I mean, the, 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 obviously, the you know, like, like in the UK, personal training just became this real thing. But I, I just got in before the wave. But so you were then, you know, one of the first, which is always helpful when um, as an industry type. So. Uh, yeah, we did really well. I, as I said, I became president of the Personal Trainers Association of New South Wales. I was on the board of Fitness Australia, of oh, Fitness New South Wales. Sorry, um, we won awards, and yeah, it just got bigger and better. And I was able to sell it seventeen years later. Something I would never, ever have thought was even possible when I was in that stinky garage, just trying to earn a few extra dollars to buy a pretty address, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone starts in the in the dirty garage to some extent, whether it's the yeah. or like literally. <laughs> yeah, I think they do, yeah. <laughs> so it's always a bit of scraping around, a bit of uh, trying to make it work and fudging yeah. it and then learning as you go along. I suppose you weren't. Did you have any business background before like starting that business yourself? Absolutely none. My father was a policeman. My mother was a teacher. Uh, so complete public service background, had no idea at all. I just, I, I loved to learn. So I was just learning on my feet, making mistakes, what, learning from those mistakes, trying again, trying again, trying again. Yeah. I went to a lot of courses, always, always learning. Um, yeah. It, you know, and I truly made stacks of mistakes, <laughs> but you just had to keep on going and yeah yeah 
that's yeah you, you mentioned as well like having the highest retention rate for both your customers and the staff what do you think contributed to that uh i think a couple of things i mean i i mean i i, I love people so to me you know i suppose i'm a people person and i'm really interested and curious with people i, I do i want them to feel a part of, I've always wanted to feel a part of something and I want, so I wanted the people who were in my business, whether they were staff or customers, to feel like they were a part of something, that they weren't just a number to me. So I would get to know them really well. And, you know, we just became a, a real community. Uh, I just I, I just kept learning more, you know, on how to treat staff well. And I do that through education, of course, and I do it through trial and error. Um, and, you know, having the foundation, um, it was really linked to the business. So everyone, not everyone, a lot of people within the business staff and customers uh, were supporters of the foundation and they really felt that uh, not only were they coming to help themselves to move more, eat better, rejuvenate, but it was they kind of could pay it forward because it was then going to children um, who had, you know, more needs than all of us here in Australia um, had. So, yeah, I think we just we had a just a beautiful and I think like attracts like. So, you know, I'd, I'd get a couple of great trainers and they would not want to work with what would often be, you know, some we call them. Um, you know, buff heads often here in Australia. <laughs> I say respectively, of course, not every personal trainer is like that. But at the time, trainers were just like the real kind of muscle men type people. Or, mm. um, and we were not like that at all. Not like that. You know, and all my staff, they were, they were married with children and had mortgages. And I wanted to make sure that they could still have that. Um, but so they didn't want to work with other with the bullheads they see in the gyms that they'd work in. Um, so they continue to refer good people to be staff. So it was great. I mean, the last probably five years of the business, I never had to advertise for new staff because my current staff would seek them out and bring them in, which was just a beautiful way to be through referral, of course. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like uh, you were, were genuinely interested in people, are you saying? And, uh, I think that always shines through, doesn't it? If you're doing any kind of business, if you're genuinely interested yeah. in them and their outcomes and yeah. uh, the community aspect as well and the whole like cycle, like you're saying, of like doing social good as well. So it's yeah. people feel good for being there because they're around like-minded people as well, not around the buff heads. I've not heard yeah. that one before. That must be a <laughs> Sydney one. <laughs> I think that must be, yeah. <laughs> I say yeah, it, it was, respectively yeah. to everyone with big muscles. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's more the mentality, isn't it, you're talking about? You can yes, have big muscles and not be a buffet. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and, and I went to Sydney when I was in Australia, and it's very well known for being full of people who are, it, like, got a good body, let's say, you know, in good physical shape. And you go to the beaches yeah. and there's like people flexing, and there's, I, the, I there's basically gyms on the beach and all this stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a whole different world. Like, if you even comparing that to Melbourne where it's a lot more low key like people are yes. into fitness but it's not right in your face but there um, so you're saying when you were doing this initially it wasn't quite as in your face and so it wasn't quite as bigger uh, that's definitely the culture there now in Sydney uh, it, it, oh yeah so, so before when you were starting this it was sort of a bit more unusual then for people to go to the gym and have yeah. PT. 
That, oh, absolutely. And we, so I started as an outdoor business. We were all outdoor at first and then we had the studio so we're indoor and outdoor and as I said when I started there was one studio one personal training studio within a 5k radius when I sold my business there were 33 personal training studios within a 5k radius that is how much the industry had grown in that time I mean and so that's not that's not even counting the hundreds of outdoor trainers that just are sole operators you know down at the parks and down on the beach and all PTs in gyms, it's not counting them at all, just the studios that had got that big. So, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. What do you think I made it just skyrocket? I've got some ideas myself, but what do you think? Well, yeah, I think um, for me, I mean, I saw it with people like me. So I had never been into a gym prior to doing my personal training qualification ever. I'd always, I'd, I'd like to run, play tennis, be the bit, you know, you know, everything was outdoors. And because we live in a, I live in Sydney, so it's, you can do it. You know, you, know, you don't have to go inside to exercise. Um, so when I went in for the first time, I mean, I felt, even though I was a phys ed teacher, I was fit, um, I felt really intimidated within the gym space. And so I knew that like if I felt that way when I was already fit and healthy, people who weren't and were trying to get there would feel extra intimidated. So I think there was there was that market gap definitely when I started and I, I didn't realise and at the time it was just something I wanted to do. But, you know, on reflection I could see we were just had got to that point of time where people wanted something different. They wanted more, a more personalised service. And they didn't want to have to be standing next to a buffet that was sweating and grunting next to them and, you know, that type of thing. So that, I mean, to me, that's where it was. And then as more people started doing it, more people wanted it. Um, and of course, I, we were in a, we we're in an affluent suburb. So, you know, there was a double income most of the time where people could afford ongoing personal training. I mean, we we're at the higher end of the price value, but yeah, retention was really great because, you know, people were earning good money as well. But this is what I saw, you know, and this is, this has been interesting that people were coming and they were doing whatever they could to be healthier physically and mentally by coming to us. Yet their workplaces um, often did not uh, really back that up, you know, so they'd have to either come at the crack of dawn to do their exercise to us because then they'd have a 12-hour day and then they'd be expected to go to some networking event and schmooze with the clients when they'd prefer to be home with their families eating their dinner. And I just, you know, no matter what someone did in their personal life, if a workplace doesn't also back up with policies and procedures and an environment that allows for people to be physically, mentally and socially healthy, it does not matter what they're doing in their personal life because it's all ruined when they get to work. And so once I'd sold that business and, and really realised that it was just, oh, we've got to fix our workplaces so that people can really thrive, um, which is what has led me to where I am now. Well, yeah, that's a nice segue, really. Um, so you're currently an advisor for the Well Mind concept. And 
So what's yeah. what's that about then? Because I think you've learned about this balance and workplaces and things. So can you take a, tell us more about that. Yeah. So the International Well Building Institute um, is based out of New York, and pretty much what we used to have the green buildings. We still we still do have the green building standards um, across the world where buildings are you know assessed for their uh, sustainability and if they uh, do good things for the environment, that type of thing. Um, but the, the international well building standard, uh, it just takes it up a notch. And what we're looking at is the built environment, our workplaces, our hospitals, schools, airports, universities, how they're built. Do they positively or negatively impact the health and well-being of those people inside the building? Now, um, there's many, there's 10 factors that we look at, um, you know, the quality of the air, the quality of the water, um, all different things. But I'm involved mostly with what they call mind. And what we're looking at is does the built environment positively impact our minds? Can we perform well? How's our productivity? Does it help us sleep or does it hinder our sleep? Because, you know, we've got fluorescent lights that all day that actually don't do anything good for our circadian rhythms, which makes it harder for us to go to sleep. Yeah, so that's I'm advising um, for that particular area called MIND and, and looking at how can we make the environment of our workplaces mostly I'm involved with um, better through um, lighting, um, materials that we use for furniture, the way our desks are set up, uh, the policies we have, the programs, the education that uh, employees are given to ensure that we can be mentally healthy and perform at our very best at work. Mm, it's a fascinating topic. And uh, one quick tool that people can download is called Flux, which I've got installed on my computers. Uh, there's also a thing on phone called Twilight if you're on Android. Um, so Flux, you can set to, <laughs> in, in England, it's sort of interesting because the, the sun's out until like nine or 10 now, like the sunset's yeah. quite late. So. Uh, basing it on the sunrise and sunset here is not necessarily that smart. You might want to bring it down a bit, but anyway. Um, so that'll adjust the colours on your screen. So having blue light like um, now for me, the sun's yes. out as you, as you can see anyway, uh, and yeah. it's it's nice. And at this yes. sort of time, you, the blue light is fine because some people have like wear these like blue blocking things in the day, and actually you do want blue light. You actually want to go outside and get the blue light as well. So. Yeah. In the middle of the day and things, it's actually okay, I think, to get the, the, the bright blue lights and stuff. But mm. as you tail off towards later in the day, I've even got this ring light, which has different colour temperatures on it as well. So later do, in the yes. day, yeah, it'll yeah. go, you know, to a more yellow sort of colour rather than a blue colour. Yes. Um, what's, what's the sort of like gold standard? And I'm also interested as well in sort of hybrid working because um, in countries, well, like the UK, it's been harder hit by the pandemic. There's a definite massive shift towards uh, hybrid working, you know, partly working from home, partly working um, in the office as well. And yeah. I suppose the working from the home part is something that people have more control over. And you were mentioning the desk layout as well, which is interesting because at the moment I've, <laughs> I'm using a particular room and this this desk is not ideal. But uh, yeah. so, so <laughs> could you uh, maybe help with like my desk? How should I set it up? <laughs> well, I, I'm not an ergonomist, but I just, <laughs> I know the basics. I mean, we should have our screen so that it's level, you know, and, I, you know, I, I will do the same. Like I, I work from a laptop. I've got it on a stand at the moment, so it's higher, but... 
I get lazy and sometimes I don't and sometimes I go and sit on the couch doing it and it's, you know, and it doesn't take long before I start to feel the nerve pain from it because I don't have the mouse and I don't have the uh, keyboard in the right spot and, you know, we should have our our legs kind of, you know, make, making sure that our knees are just a smidge lower than our bottoms on the chair, on our chairs. Yeah, the mouse, you should have the mouse rather than using your laptop keyboard and mouse pad, that should be separate. So there, there are a couple of things. Um, you, a task light on, um, on your work so that you're getting um, bright light. I actually, I've got a really great app. I might, I'll, I'll send it to you, Luke, so you can put in the show notes. And it actually allows you to see if there is actually enough light that you can, you just put your phone up like that and it'll read the light, how much mm-hmm. you've, you know, if it's enough. And that way you can make adjustments. Because sometimes we think we've got enough light, but we actually, I was shocked that I thought I had enough light and I, I, I don't on, the, on my desk as such. Because I'm actually in a really, well, it's getting dark here in Sydney, but this is a really light room and you'd think that's light enough, but actually what you're seeing right in front of you can be different. So mm. there are a few little tips. Yeah, that's interesting. So what about oh, work and you know what? Ooh, come Having water right near you all the time. Yes, I saw you have that. I'm going to have some now. Yeah, so for everyone listening, we're just having water now. Just having a little sip, yeah. <laughs> water break, yeah. Uh, I always start off with like a litre of water pretty much, or, well, lemon juice this morning because I wanted to get some. That, that makes me feel better in the morning for sure, lemon juice. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So what about in the office then? What, what makes a good office into I guess there's lots of different factors but maybe you could just yeah. expand on any of that well as you can see behind me I've got lots of plants along there and definitely having greenery in your office having a plant if it, even if it's a tiny little cactus but having some plants um NASA actually if you Google NASA and indoor plants, um, they've done a really amazing research study regarding the how plants um, just help get the toxins out of the air. And especially if you are working in a home where you can't have the fresh air coming through um, or perhaps your windows are closed because the, the air outside is actually not very good air because you're in an in not industrial, but like over a busy street or whatever it might be. Um, But plants are so good for that. And um, this NASA report actually has the top 10 or 20 best indoor plants for you to put in your office space. It's excellent and it's got great data. I really recommend um, people having a look at that. And they've they've got a beautiful um, just visual image of the different plants. So if you don't know the names, which I never do, um, but any plant's good, you know, just to have plants that you can look at. Um, obviously, if you can have your desk set up where you're going from sitting to standing um, and changing. Um, so they say the best position is your next position. Mm. So it's not to be at a stand-up desk all day long, which, you know, was a bit of the rave a little while ago. Um, that's actually not great for your body either. You go from sitting to standing, um, sitting to standing, sitting to standing and move, you know, sitting, standing, move. Um, that's the best way for you to continue blood flow, blood flow through your body, get your brain working um, and, and to have the mini breaks, you know, 
have the mini breaks, a 10 minute break where you can just stand at the window with your cup of tea and look out can just do wonders for productivity. Mm. Yeah, I, I do in my training as well. I do stress the importance of having breaks as well. And uh, yeah. again, there's more apps on your phones and stuff that can help with this. I, you know, yes. I'm sort of uh, in two minds about using technology for this, but it, it is useful if you can use your computer. I mean, you're going to use your computer most of the day anyway, if you're a desk person. Um, yeah. And so I've got an app called Grindstone, which you can set how long you want to work before it'll pop and go, you need a break. And it's really nice when oh, that comes yeah. up in the middle of a meeting. If you're in like a two hour meeting, it's like, you need a break. I'm like, hey guys, shall we have a yeah, break? Sorry. <laughs> sorry, but come back to you. Yeah. 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 And sometimes if, even if like, it depends on the company, obviously. So if I'm getting like, some sort of all company brief to me at the moment, uh, I might be doing some like exercise band work because all I have to do is listen. So if I'm yeah. listening and like, you know, doing some uh, just random band movements, then great. I'm, you know, t- killing two birds with one stone. It's something you can't do in the office or, or no, they, <laughs> don't encourage yeah. in most offices anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I mean, I mean any, <laughs> just moving is good, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, they realized this as well. I went to a Tony Robbins conference and it was life and wealth mastery. And it yeah. was a pretty funny one because you could hear all this squeaking at the back because they've got these trampolines. Um, and so they've got people doing the, the, the seminar, like actually, you know, teaching you, but you're encouraged to like go at the back and jump around on these trampolines at the same time. And you can still see they've got TVs around it and everything. Uh, yeah. So I, I just thought it was hilarious uh, and great. It was really fun. Like, oh yeah, and, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, why not? Um, I'm just not sure that <laughs> when I go back into the office a bit more, there'll be trampolines there. So I'm going to be disappointed. But there you go. So moving uh, around a little bit. So you, there was also this thing in your bio where it says you lost the use of your legs. This mm-hmm. sounds. Uh, intriguing and not related to what we've talked about so far so what happened there oh gosh it was the most random thing I was 11 and um I woke up and I just knew that I wouldn't be able to walk so I called my mum I said mum 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 so she comes into my room I said mum I can't walk and she's like oh darling just go back to sleep it'll be okay you know when I trusted mum so I went back to sleep and um Anyway, woke up again because I had to go to the loo and, yeah, just tried to get up and collapse on the floor and I just could, I just had no use of my legs and, yeah, you know, called the doctor and um, after going through so many different specialists, no one could find a reason. I'd caught some kind of random virus which was a bit unknown. I mean, we're talking a long time ago now, I suppose. I'm sure they're would be a name for it and a cure for it now, but uh, at the time there wasn't and they didn't know how to, to, to kind of pinpoint it. But for eight months, yeah, I, I just didn't have use of my legs and it was, they, they, they thought, that, well, they told me there was a 75% chance I'd spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair. So that was pretty frightening. And I was a real sporty spice. You know, I, I've always, I've always loved to move and, I was a big, big tennis player and I did athletics. And so, yeah, I found that very hard. Um, and, you know, I was in year six and my last year of primary school, I've missed a lot of school. And I suppose I'd been used to being kind of, um, you know, just into everything and felt quite excluded from 
just normal kid stuff because I couldn't go to school. I couldn't participate in, in anything. And, uh, yeah, I lost a lot of confidence um, during that time. But slowly but surely, I finally found a doctor who um, didn't just write me off for having some kind of psychosomatic thing. And um, he believed that by doing different kinds of exercises that I would be able to uh, regain the use of my legs and I was incredibly motivated by his hope. You know, you know he gave me hope, I suppose. And um, I was, I've always been very disciplined for things like that. So I just stuck to the plan and I kept on the plan every day. And eventually I started to get feeling back in my legs and strength back in. And it took a while for me to walk normally, but eventually I did. And yeah, those legs have you know, I've I've done a marathon. I've done various half marathons, lots of ten k's, and uh, they are completely normal and fine now, which is great. That's amazing. So, was that uh, sort of driving force towards wanting to do physical education and things like that when you got older? Do you think? I I'd always wanted to do that. It had all I, for, when I was a little girl. That's all I'd ever wanted to do, um, definitely. But. Um, yeah, look, it really, it did teach me a lot, though, in regards to um, when I was a phys ed teacher, just about uh, people's different abilities, you know, and that we have to find a way to include people with all abilities. So, uh, and that, you know, that is is hard when you've got a classroom of 30 people who all have different abilities, all have different motivations for wanting to be there or not. Um but I, I always would remember that time where I was often excluded because of my lack of ability due to the leg issue. So it was kind of front of mind from then on. Mm, good reminder. Yeah, um, the different abilities thing. So I sort of had a, a reminder of this in a sort of funny way um, just last week. So me and my friend, we like to throw a Frisbee as a lunchtime break. Uh, so we get outside right. for the frisbee, which is really, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. Oh it, yeah. No, no matter how bad a day you're having, you usually feel better after throwing a frisbee around. I uh, love and it. We have, yeah, and we have played a bit of ultimate frisbee. We play disc golf as well, which is sort of, I don't know, niche sports, which are fun, really fun. Anyway, yeah. um, so we started like we got to a point with our right hands where we were quite good at throwing different techniques, you know, forehands, backhands, whatever. Uh, and then we started throwing with our left, and we were absolutely <laughs> awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, right, this is what it feels like for everyone else who starts. Like, because we yeah. do this pretty much every day. And yeah. when I throw to the left, I'm like, and it just doesn't go where you want it to. And you feel a bit like an idiot. And you're like, yeah. oh, this is how everyone else feels. So when, because me and my mate were like, oh, let's play Frisbee. And, you know, if we have people around, uh, then, you know, we play Frisbee and people throw it and you sort of laugh and that. But now I know how they feel. They probably feel like, you know, yeah. a bit rubbish and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. And it's it's not a nice feeling. Like you do it, and I'm I'm telling myself, right, this is neuroplasticity. I'm going to get neuroplasticity yeah. because I'm rubbish yeah, at this. Yeah. <laughs> keep doing it. Keep doing it. I'll get better. Uh, which is kind yeah. of the reason why I started like throwing uh, basketball hoops and stuff. And not very good at that either. But you know, I would say I'm the opposite to you. I'm not like naturally sporty, but I've found sports and uh, running and things like that to be really useful as a way of like regulating mood, especially. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I, I try and do something every day. You know, go for a run and and all of that. Um, mm. yeah the, the different abilities thing as well I suppose that definitely applies not just in physical stuff but also within um, just day to day learning and education isn't it and 
for me, I can sort of see with the personal training of things and different classes, you sort of give people different exercises depending on their their skill level. I've seen that done. Mm. So that's quite a good way of doing it. I'm thinking with education, I'm not so sure how you do that. Uh, have you found different ways that you can sort of include different levels? Yeah, and I think definitely it's a great point, Luke. Um, and then I go back to what you're saying there, like you, we can't be good at everything, right? You know, you just can't be good at everything. So, and that's okay. It's okay. Um, perfection is a fairy tale. So, I mean, the work, the education work I do now, uh, I've got different frameworks and processes that I've really worked very hard to ensure that when we're going through a process or, you know, through a framework that every individual can apply it to wherever they are right now. And that, I think is what has to be because you're right you know we kind of get it in regards to physical abilities that there are all these levels but again with with learning and you know I know now that I can't learn from hearing I can't learn from being in a lecture you know in a school class you know all those years at school of being in classrooms in one ear out the other I just cannot absorb it that way I have to read it. I have to read it. Or, or if we, you know, we're learning a lot. And I learned this about myself from when I tried to learn, when many times I've tried to learn Spanish because I believe that I'm a Spanish gypsy in my past life, but the language part never got sent down. <laughs> um, but I can't, I have to see the word written for me to know how to say it and understand it. And so, you know, we all learn in different ways and we've just got to remember that. So, yeah. The frameworks that I use to help people go through a pro this, these processes that I do, it allows them to put what they need to, you know. We all have different responsibilities and challenges in our lives. So even when you're saying, when we're talking about, well, how do you build resilience? What do you do on a daily basis? Like some people won't want to sit in their bed for 30 minutes in the morning to sit in silence. That's rubbish for them. No, no chance in this, this world. I mean, how many people have told me I've got to get up and exercise? I've set my alarm, alarm maybe a thousand times in my lifetime to get up and go for a run, and I never do it. I hate it. Mm. So it's got to be something you can apply to yourself and your own life. Otherwise, you're never going to do it. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so you were talking about different learning styles effectively. So there's sort of audio, there's kinesthetic. Some people are more visual. Mm. And you can train them, like you can get better at certain things, just like with anything, but you definitely have a preference. And for me, yeah. I'm quite visual as well. So if I read, like if I read your name, I'm going to remember it much better than if you tell me. And yes. that's because I'm not, that's not because I'm not listening. Yeah, <laughs> that's, no, that's because it just doesn't, just doesn't sit in your brain. And I don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah. Just seeing it on a page. It's like, oh yeah, I, that's good for me. Um, so yes. there's those learning styles and there's also like doing as well, which is the kinesthetic, yeah, actually, of is what I said, actually. Um, are there any other, so I suppose there's presenting information in ways, in, in various ways, potentially simultaneously. So if this mm. was a YouTube video, then you might have subtitles because some people would get that better and also it makes it accessible for people who are blind and so on. Um, yes. No, no, that's the wrong way around. If you're blind, no, yeah, you the, subtitles. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> I know what you Nearly. meant. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah. So is there, anyth is there anything else then? So there's different learning styles and presenting of information. Is there anything else that people can do to make it more accessible for different levels as well? Yeah, look, I think, and well, some people, some people love 
data. They just want the facts, you know, just give me the facts. But other people absorb things through things through storytelling. And, uh, you know, so you've got to, I mean, like I'm a keynote speaker, so um, I'm never going to know the percentage of the audience who only like facts and the percentage of the audience who only like storytelling to learn and absorb what I'm saying. I, it's got to be a mix. So, it, you know, it, at different different points that people will pick up different things because of that. Uh, and, you know, some people love to do things with others to learn. Other people absolutely hate it. You know, just let me do this by myself. Um, I don't want to go into a small group. Don't put me in a breakout room or, you know, don't make me turn to the person next to me. And, you know, some people just despise that stuff. Uh, so we're all different. We're all different. True. Yeah. And when I've done training courses, I'm quite aware that there's there's always going to be people that are louder and take over. Like if you've got a breakout yes. room or, or, or whatever, yeah. there's, there's going to be naturally one or two people that are probably going to do most of the talking. And yeah. so I, I, would, I quite like to plan in bits where it's just you think on your own time. And sometimes I do that before going into the breakout because then people can process themselves uh, without having everyone else. Because, you know, if you're a very good listener as well, it can be quite difficult because you're just listening going, oh, yeah, yeah. And then you, you maybe you turn into the scribe because you're such a good listener and then you're not really contributing in, in that yeah. in, in a different sense, you know. So it's, um, I, yeah, I think it's good to give people that sort of silent or... Uh, singular time uh, as well as the group activities as well so yeah I think that's a good point yeah, you made definitely <laughs> yeah yeah okay cool um I think we're coming to a natural conclusion here so are there any sort of takeaways or messages you'd want to give to the audience uh, based on anything we've talked about or anything separately you know I've heard Tim Ferriss use this one which is uh if you had a giant billboard what would you put on it to like the whole world if they could see it and something non-commercial anything jump to your mind uh that would fit on a billboard or well it could be as long as you want or as sure as you want okay. fine. <laughs> yeah look i i mean i you know being I, i'm a resilience keynote speaker and i do training and development work around building uh, finding the courage to build resilience so that you can better deal with change and uncertainty what I've noticed over the last year is this word resilience has been used a lot and I feel like it's even uh, lost a little bit of its shine uh, and it's been diluted because people are, keep talking about um, you are a resilient person or you've got a resilient business or a, a resilient organisation. If you can bounce back, that makes you resilient because you can bounce back and I think so the, the one thing I would love to leave with is that I actually don't believe we should define people's resilience or organisations' resilience by their ability to bounce back. I believe we should define it by their ability to bounce forward, that they have had a challenge. We've all had a very big challenge. <laughs> Whoa. Some monstrously, some just a little bit, but it's been a challenge, no doubt. To me... We've had this challenge. A truly resilient person or organisation will learn something from that challenge that we've gone through. They will be able to adapt it to whatever next comes up so that they can continue to move forward. 
I actually have an acronym for it. I call it the resilience wrap. R is reflect, reflect on what you've learned. A is adapt, adapt this learning to what is now the whatever's new, the new norm or whatever you want to call it. And P is for progress. You know, how do you progress forward from it? So to me, that that makes you a truly resilient person or a truly resilient business that you can learn something from a challenge, adapt it, and so you can continue to move forward. That's what we want to see because we aren't going back to any way we were before. And I also believe that, you know, I know from the different challenges I've had, those adversities, the big ones and the small ones, that something fundamentally changes on your insides when you go through challenge and adversity. And you actually don't go back to the way you were before. Um, and you want to, you do want to learn something. Otherwise, you get stuck and paralyzed with fear. And, and this is where the whole, you know, finding the courage to move forward is what we want to do. For sure, yeah. And uh, are there any sort of uh, quick ways? Uh, I'm sure courage is something that's maybe built over time and experience as well. But are there any things that you give to people as, as just like tips for building their own courage? Yeah, look, I think um, the first thing is to recognise that we've all gone through hard things and we, we will again. And to rem- when we do come up against a hard thing, to remember that we have already gone through hard stuff beforehand. We already have done that. Everybody has. So just to have that knowledge um, that we've gone through hard stuff before and, and so we can, we can come up against this hard stuff and get through it. The second thing is that um, it's taking, taking small steps. And I think, you know, often we only think of, courage in these kind of big big massive uh physics like you know there are firefighters who are going in there to save the light you know this is what courage is about but courage can can come in lots of forms i mean you you can be socially courageous by standing up for something for somebody who maybe is getting bullied at work you know you can be intellectually courageous by um going against what the norm is and actually saying actually i've I, I've got other research to say that that's not quite right. You know, we've seen a lot of that with the vaccines on, you know, people who are intellectual, intellectually courageous with going against the, what some people say. Um, there's emotional courage. You know, there's lots of emotional courage of um, just, well, with what we talked about before to say, actually, I'm not okay right now. I'm not okay. I need some help. So courage comes in lots of versions. It's not just about physical courage. And I think we can all, we are all better at one of those types of courage than we are at other ones. Uh, um, I feel I feel really driven by, I've got some really big value things. So, social courage is really easy for me. Um, and maybe intellectual courage isn't as much perhaps, you know, that's where, so that's where perhaps I need to, do my learning yeah all right well thanks for that um so if people can find you it's heidi denning so that's uh, on linkedin facebook and instagram uh, are yes. there any other places if people want to sort of follow you contact you or see what you're up to that they should go to oh uh, look i'm i'm mostly 
uh, hang out on LinkedIn. That's my favorite place. Um, but I do do a, uh, a wine and wisdom show on Facebook every fortnight. Uh, so I interview different people and we share wine and wisdom and um, that's lots of fun. So if people are, um, are wanting to do that, they can find me there. But yeah, otherwise on my website, you know, there's lots of different resources and uh, things that I'm always updating with. So you can always find the latest there. Yeah, and I've had a look at there. There's a resilience quiz on there. So if you're wondering how resilient you are, you can give that a go. And it really is about three minutes, as it says. So yeah, give that so a go. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yes. I mean, that that has been really, um, people have found that really useful over the last 15 months, just just to see how these, you know, because we all think, oh, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, but then when you just kind of go through the process, just to see how resilient you are actually to these things that we don't have a lot of control over. Mm, yeah true and uh sleep being one of those things uh that we're talking yeah. about as well that was on that list and i was like oh, i need to improve this <laughs> luke i'm going to send you my um my sleep workshop the worksheet that is just you know there'll be lots on there that you may and your listeners um are probably already doing um but there just might be one or two things that you could add that might just make that little bit of a difference because as we know even that extra 20 minutes of sleep can change the way you feel the next day so i'd, I'd be happy that to share that with you and your listeners yeah that's fantastic thanks for that okay um well thank you very much for coming on t today on tipping points uh, it's been really great to have you and uh, i think it's been you've got such interesting stories as well and uh, hopefully people will get a lot of courage from what you've told as well so yeah uh, thank you very much thanks so much luke it's been a pleasure to be on cheers Thank you for listening to Tipping Points. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, like, and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. Doing this really helps us to keep providing free content to you. If you want to find out more, get more episodes and exclusive content, please head over to tippingpointspodcast.com. If you've got some insights today, like the way I ask questions, and want to take your journey to another level, then Mindful Productivity Coaching is for you. At Mindful Productivity, we take a holistic approach to make you happier, healthier, and more productive. Our coaching program is tailored to your needs so you get what you want from it. Find out more at mindfulproductivity.net forward slash coaching and book your free discovery call today. That's mindfulproductivity.net forward slash coaching for your free discovery call.